Hello, you've jumped into part two of my conversation with Dr. Alistair Godfrey. In part one, we learned how Alistair engineered self-belief and confidence that saw him progress from a small village to studying at Cambridge to becoming managing director of one of the world's biggest healthcare companies. We pick up from the part that he agrees to take over the organisation and how he kept imposter syndrome at bay to succeed. Wow, just like that, you make it sound so simple. Because earlier on, you were listing all of the things that it needed, all the things that could go wrong, all the things about you as well. We spoke a little bit earlier about imposter syndrome, that feeling that any moment now you're going to be found out or someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and go, what are you doing here? Was there any of that going on throughout that period for you? Yeah, look, I think imposter syndrome is a really interesting thing. I think I'm I'm well aware of it. I know I know exactly what it is. I understand it's a really common thing. Again, I think I figured out imposter syndrome very young. So, and and what I figured out from a really young age is that everyone has imposter syndrome. Everyone suffers from elements of, oh, I'm not that good. Maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I won't live up to. Maybe I'll be figured out. Maybe someone will come along and realize. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy into it. I think um, because it's so common and prevalent, it just means that we're all in the same boat, mm. right? And that is not to say that there aren't some people that are proficient and confident in their abilities to do certain things in their job, but there will be certain elements that are pushed to that they go, I'll give it a bash and see how I go sort of thing. And, and that's been my whole career. I'm always like, um, I, I feel like I'm yet to say no to anything career-wise. I'm always like, yep, and I'll figure out. It's, it's, it's funny, like I watched something recently and someone said the, the key principle of improv acting is to say yes and. That's and I feel like yeah. that is my entire life, is saying yes and. So if someone says to me, do you want, can you do this? Yes, and I can also do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm never, I'm never going to be the person that's going to be like, oh, no, I feel like, I will, I I'm potentially could say, um, maybe, and I'll figure it out and get back to you. But more than likely, I'll say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I was given a, a great piece of advice many years ago just around that, that um, be known for, for the question or, or answering to so what rather than what if. So if I go yes and and I take it on, so what if it doesn't go to plan? So what if people don't think I'm competent enough? I'd rather live in that world than what if I took that job? What if they thought I was good once I got there? It's quite interesting yeah. how you've used that positive reinforcement for yourself to go, it's like the Dr. Pepper advert, what's the worst that could happen? Well, it's funny. So one of the things I, I did want to bring up in this talk, because I think it's so relevant to the topic that you're talking about, a lot of people ask me um, about things like, oh, how do you stand up and present in front of people, in front of, you know, 200, 1,000 people, or how do you pitch to, you know, the corporate board of Pfizer? And one of my favourite quotes I came across when I was in uni, and we had to do this big presentation for all these really preeminent 
doctors and scientists and board members and it was a really varied audience and I was like <gasps> and I don't know about you but I feel like at school we were really remiss in being taught about public speaking like we were not told how to do that so I didn't really have that thing and this guy Graham I should say Dr. Graham McKenzie who I worked with at the time he said um, Mark Twain said this quote and it's something that I've never forgotten and it's I've been through many terrible things in my life some of which actually happened <laughs> and I totally under as soon as he said that I'm like oh my god that makes so much sense and I've told my brother this I've told people with it because what we do as human beings is we traumatize ourselves with what ifs just what you said there what if I get up to do my presentation, I fall off stage. What if I forget everything I was going to say? What if I'm going to, you know, I can't answer that question. What if, what if, what if? And you actually, slowly but surely, you traumatize yourself. And as human beings, we are, like, fortunate that we have consciousness and memory. But the, the downside of consciousness and memory is that you remember trauma as well as you remember good things. So if you've traumatized yourself, even though it hasn't actually happened, that is something that does impact you going forward in life so one of the biggest mistakes that people make in life is literally traumatizing themselves by the many terrible things that have happened they've made happen to their lives some of which might have happened because if you can think about it how many times have you presented in front of a group of people hundreds of times i'm, yeah. I'm sure how many times have you mocked up beyond belief that you have been so humiliated and embarrassed you can't believe it never Right? But we all think about those times of, oh my God, what if? You know? Absolutely. And and the thing is, I remind myself that only I know what I'm covering. Only I know the content. What was supposed to be next? Nobody else knows that I jumped a sentence and forgot a key point. I'll come back to it. So it's all of those things that knowing that you know your stuff, that you're good enough to stand up and be heard that goes such a long way because nobody knows what's going to happen next. Once you yeah. tell yourself that, then you start allowing yourself to relax a little bit more and go, people have turned up. People have dialed into this conference call to hear from you. There's something in that. I, I just wonder, and I'm interested in the dynamic of why do you think we over-prepare for the worst? It's that the pessimist is never disappointed or if I can think about every eventuality if it happens i'll be ready is there something that happens to us about over preparing or protecting ourselves yeah i think it's self-preservation and i think it's quite a natural human instinct i think you know as animals we are instinctively um set to try and um survive and you know unfortunately what we are is we are animals that have evolved in a natural habitat who now currently inhabit an artificial environment. So self-preservation comes in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways now, whereas self-preservation might have been hiding in the cave from the lion that's outside or, um, you know, not eating the dangerous mushroom that's poisonous. Nowadays, it's um, not mucking up in front of the boss or um, not embarrassing yourself on the first day. You know, you're self-preservation mechanisms have diluted and trans transmuted into these weird and wonderful things so actually what it is is uh, that kind of self-preservation and over preparation 
is from an instinct which is very real about survival mm. that is actually now being enacted for things that are not really to do with survival, but our minds are kind of making it about that. Yeah. So if I'm going to do that keynote speech, the chances of me not surviving to the end of that speech and not making it out the other side are incredibly exactly. slim. However, the traumas that you described there are preparing me just in case. It's actually taken away from the talent and the moment that I've got to to be seen and to be heard. Yeah. Unless someone is like going to drop you into a shark tank or something straight away <laughs> afterwards, like on you know pain of death you have to do this presentation, then yeah, you're probably likely to survive it. But your your um your brain chemistry is telling you this is something to survive. This is something to get through. There's this is why people freeze in such circumstances like this. It's a flight, fight or flight sort of scenario. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that because I find myself in the past feeling myself sweating, feeling reddening in the face. You know, I used to hate being told to read out loud in school. You you would just feel your colour changing and you go, everybody's looking at me. Everybody knows that I'm not okay with this scenario. Is there something chemically that's happening to us to cause that response? Yeah, so flushing in the face is to do with the blood rushing to the head, to, to rush to the, the brain to save us, because it's telling you, you, you need to get out of this situation so you need as much power in the thing that is driving your decisions as possible. So you get flushed in the face because your blood is rushing to your head because it's saying you need to figure this out. So that is kind of what that's about. I mean, I have to say a lot of this, a lot of neurochemistry, and I'm not a neurologist, and I don't claim to be. Um, I have done a lot of work in the neurology space, but I'm not. A lot of this is... Uh, um, hypothetical and theorized but there's a lot of evidence to show that it's the case so that is that and, and the sweating thing just goes hand in hand of the blood coming to the surface because it's just getting ready and tensing your muscles and your 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 autonomous nerve system to just go at a moment's notice just so ready to go in a way your body is actually trying to help you to accelerate you to get through it but it doesn't feel comfortable when you're in that moment. No. But you shouldn't feel comfortable because think about it. So in that moment, that, that moment is the same as your ancestors sitting, waiting for the lion to come over the, the, the brow of the hill that could potentially eat you. And you've got a spear in your hands and you need to defend yourself vigorously, as my mother would say. Defend yourself vigorously from that lion, you know. So, so you shouldn't feel comfortable. You should feel entirely uncomfortable. If you feel comfortable in that moment, you might miss something. Sure. You might not be alert. You might not be focused. It's, it's an overcompensation of the moment in today's world. And how do we, so it is super uncomfortable when we feel like that. The amount of sleepless nights that you might have or the over-rehearsing in our brains takes up an awful lot of energy that's not particularly beneficial how do we stop ourselves getting to that point where you're either freezing or you're flying is there something you can do to try and prevent some of that survival mode kicking in cool that is a good question and <laughs> i really i think if i had the answer to that i'd be you know on oprah or something like that like, <laughs> um, and and i think um there's probably not, an, I think the reason why there isn't a straightforward answer is because there is no straightforward answer. I think from my perspective, a lot of it 
can be down to practice. So I tell my staff, for instance, if you've got an important presentation to practice it, even to yourself. I, there's many, many times and I've been walking around this room uh, giving a presentation to myself to an empty room just because I want to get it in my head and you know you can you can get a sense of comfort I guess with the words that you're choosing to use mm. if there's particular terminology that you're not comfortable with or you're not familiar with um, there's also a sense of rhythm that you can get into like oh I really rushed that part doing it and I used to at uni for instance I used to or at my first job and I present things to my parents or to flatmates or to friends and say, how does this feel? You know, people say, oh, you went super fast through that, which is not a thing that I <laughs> am easy to recognize when I go too quick or whatnot. So um, presenting or doing things in front of people who you do feel comfortable with, in fact, but, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's not an easy one. Practice, 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 I guess, is one of the things. Um, also breaking things down into more comfortable pieces, um, not to overwhelm yourself is probably a good thing. Because I have a thing, and I tell this to my staff as well, in fact, I'm just sitting here with a list right in front of me, written on the back of a bill, a list of things that I like to tick things off and things like that, because it just breaks things down and makes things seem more achievable. So, you know, breaking things down into more achievable and components is probably a good idea yeah give yourself a little bit of a break and some comfort that you know this stuff but there's something about having a framework and an idea in your head that doesn't become overly scripted therefore it, you can be authentic you can roll with the punches so when somebody asks you that probing question that you didn't rehearse you're not completely caught in the headlights there's something about that balance, right? There is. And for sure, I think the people that I know who do that best are usually the people you respond to the most and you kind of relate to the most because it does seem more natural and you tend to think that seems more genuine and it's coming from a more, more genuine place. Um, so I think a lot of that is about relating to something that is quite specific to you as an answer of that. So even if you don't know the answer per se, you can say, look, I don't know specifically, but from my perspective, in my experience, I've done this, that, and the next thing. Um, and again, that comes down to figuring things out. And I feel like, you know, a lot of my success has been down to fairly off-the-cuff um, ad hoc responses. I remember once going into a, a pitch for a, a probably still to this day the biggest project with one in this organization and I kind of went in towards the end a lot of my staff had done a lot of the work up to this point and you know we went in last out of three consultancies to go and we were up against the top end of the town you know and there was this big group you know, on the board you know in front of us and there was you know these experts and preeminent people and they were mostly asking questions of clarification and my contributions tended to be, well, there was this one time when I was working on drug eluting stents at the beginning of my career when I first moved to Australia, and I didn't know much about this, and I didn't know this, but what I did was I put this in place, and I went to here, and I asked this, and I went to here, and then, you know, the next question would come up, and someone would say something, and i say, well, that actually relates really interestingly to that time that 
I went to one of the biggest health insurance providers in Australia and this conversation was really interesting because they said this from their perspective and I thought that was really interesting that related in this regard and it was all very very um, example based sure and when we came out of that interview going who knows you know and one of the guys who was on the board the decision maker and I think he was ex he was ex EY or KPMG or Deloitte or one of those big four and he came out and he went nailed it he absolutely nailed it and we were like oh great great you did he's like the fact that you gave specific examples from your personal experience was the thing that really really differentiated you from the other two and I, and I think people underestimate their own personal experiences completely so when you're asked with a question it's the automatic response is what's the textbook what's the right answer here um and especially if somebody's put us in a place where they trust us where we're seen as the expert or we are the one leading the presentation you don't want to let people down because somebody's when i trust you to do a good job but what you've just said there rather than going the answer is there's not one answer but what i can tell you is from my experience this was the case for me and you can choose to use that as truth to move forward with or not you can be inspired or not with it I think that's a brilliant tip I love that one when I'm coaching a lot of other people the one of the most common things that's surfacing is this imposter syndrome what I've loved that you've said at the very top of this is that you've just equalized it that nobody is immune to this, no matter your background, your experience, what's happened in your life. There's not one person walking around right now that doesn't have a moment where they doubt themselves. That was a bit of a light bulb moment for me when you said that, when you realize that it's not just you. <laughs> There's a bit of comfort with that. So I'm not the only person feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, and as I said before, I, I realized that really quite early on. I don't remember what it was that made me feel like that. I just thought no one has got all of this figured out. No one has life down pat. We're all a little bit figuring things out. For sure, there are people that are experts in certain fields and stuff like that, but no one has the answers to everything. So there is definitely a sense in all of us, the most confident and the least confident of people that have this terminology of imposter syndrome. I mean, when I started in the Optum job, I'm like, yeah, run a, an international healthcare company. Sure, why not? Because <laughs> not because I thought I know how to run an international healthcare company. But I thought, well, who knows how to run an international healthcare company before they run an international healthcare company? Really, really. I mean, really and truly. So I, I thought, well, I can only do it, and then they'll just say, no, this is not for you. You know, that was that was the thing behind it. Um, yeah, every, just about everyone I've experienced in life um, has a sense of imposter syndrome. And it's just about how quickly you realise that, mm. that, I think, is the helpful thing. And, and because it really does set you free. Yeah. I think um, when, I, when I talk about the subject, even just the terminology, it's so bizarre that pretty much everybody knows it's such a strange term <laughs> that we're describing yeah. ourselves with a syndrome I know if I went into the doctors and I said this was happening and there was something physical they would go we'll take this tablet 
and then I would have a cure or something would move on. Or if I went to the dentist and I've been eating too many Haribos, chuck them because you're getting a filling. So there's, I get to the root cause really quite quickly. Uh, the sugar's done this to my teeth, therefore do this and you'll prevent it. When it comes to something like how I feel about myself and my own self-worth, that is way more complex and emotions are super complex to go. So if you do that, then you won't have imposter syndrome. So there's no silver bullet with this one. But what I encourage the people that I'm coaching is to strip back and see what's under there. But you've got to appreciate all of the parts, the light, the lovely, the bits that you're super proud of, but the bits that are not perfected yet, that are really rough, that are dark, that are not quite where you need them to be. Because until you embrace all of that, you're probably going to focus more on that dark, rough sides rather than all of the positive things back to your traumas before they've even happened I love that Mark Twain quote I'm gonna take that one forward with me yeah I love that quote I think it's equally on the flip side of that as well is that um you know you can you can recover your your neurochemistry as well by not traumatizing yourself you know there's a there's a degree of neuroplasticity that is involved in the brain where you can traumatize yourself and yeah that's it but equally on the other side you can you can instill positive habits i guess that recover and rewire your brain because of neuroplasticity they, they, they can say well actually no i'm going to connect this now to this good memory and this to this good um, experience and that'll help me in the next time I do it. So uh, the, the, that quote works on both ways. It stops people doing uh, with bad behaviour and it encourages good behaviour as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, and and I guess the other thing is as well is it's it there is a physiological thing around feeling of feelings of well being and happiness and that, that then leads to confidence as well. It's, it, it, there is um, neurochemistry behind it beyond um, just, um, I guess, the psychology and the, the behavioural science and the things that we do. Is because what I've learned certainly later in my career is more about mental health um, medicine rather than um, just mental health because it was quite easy. And I think the traditional way was like, well, it's in someone's head, therefore it's a thought or it's a something that can just be dissolved but if you try and think about some of these things more as physiological processes just like physiological processes that happen in other parts of our body our brain is still just an organ in the body that has things going on physiologically just like if you have a gallstone or if you have um you know um gastroenteritis there's things happening in your body that are making you have those reactions. There are things happening in your brain physiologically that are making you have reactions. They, they just so happen to present as emotions, potentially, or as feelings. But there's actual chemistry behind it and neurochemistry behind it. That's amazing. Um, I've, I've been doing a lot of work over the years on myself and my own self-worth. And the way I look at it is the way that I treat others was far superior to the way that I chose to treat myself. So to your point about mental well-being and so on, if I'm looking after my three-year-old niece, I will be all about, are, is she eating the right things? Is she having fun? Is she socializing? Is she happy? Is she getting out and about? Can we play? Can we exercise? 
come to me. Well, I'll just not have that toilet break. I'll just not drink that glass of water. I'll do that tomorrow. I'm too tired or I've not got time to go out for a walk. The minute that I started changing that dynamic and almost writing my own love letter to myself to go, you've got to start with you. Otherwise, you're no good to anybody else. So I just started building some of those useful habits that I apply so highly when I treat other people. I just needed to do it for myself. Start from there. Because if I didn't, I was making a huge statement to how I viewed myself. Yeah. You have to put the mask on yourself before you assist anyone else. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you're of of no use or very little use to someone else if you're not operating at high level. You know, if you're a shadow of yourself, you're not going to be very useful to invigorate someone else, to be of use to someone else, to inspire someone else, to, to be helpful even to someone else if you are operating at 10% of your actual ability, you know. You need to take, and it, and it you know, this, this comes with a lot of, um, you know, recent thinking of like, oh, it's really selfish and self-indulgent stuff like to take care of yourself. It's really not, like, you shouldn't be, ta- all of us should be taking care of ourselves. That is not to mean, taking care of yourself means ignore everyone else. That one is not exclusive of the other, you know. You can very much take care of yourself and make sure yourself uh, be a priority in your day-to-day life, as well as be cognizant of other people and other people's needs. Yeah. Why do you think um, we often fail to do that, or we prioritize other things? I think um, I think people get overwhelmed easily. I think people make certain things, certain situations and certain issues larger than what they need to be. And and I, and again, I think that comes down to like a belief and a confidence thing of like, actually, if you were to think about it in this way, it's not as big of a deal as what you think it is. Therefore, you can deal with it in that way. And it's very um, manageable. Whereas because you are treating it in this way, it's becoming become this unmanageable process and unmanageable situation. So therefore, it does distract you from other aspects that require attention as well. Mm. I think just even asking, I ask myself the question or catch myself going, is that really true? And just keep asking it until I know. Yeah, you're just torturing yourself with what-if questions and taking up that bandwidth that you have. All of us only have a certain amount of bandwidth you know, to, to, to operate with. So are you like really just taking up so much of it with like what if scenarios rather than going, this is what needs to be done and the rest of that time is free and then this is also needing to be looked at and this is also needing to be looked at. Yeah, brilliant, love it. Um, Just to try and wrap up this brilliant chat that we've been having, you know that the whole workplace initiative is about that moving from lots of self-doubt into a place of feeling self-worth. To those that are listening just now, what advice would you give to someone that is really doubting themselves at the moment? I've had a lot of these conversations in the last couple of years with people in my life who um, haven't necessarily identified in that way before, where they've said, you know, I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or, you know, lack of self-belief or self-worth. And these things are coming to the fore. And I don't know whether or not it's because we're talking about them more 
which is a good thing, so they're becoming identified, or they're becoming more prevalent because the world is becoming more complicated. Um, and there are certain things, you know, we've, in the last 30 years, we have literally entered this digital age that has just accelerated so rapidly that none of us, none of us can cope with it, I don't think. I think it is beyond the abilities of human evolution to cope with the rapid development of technology and our culture to keep up. I think we are racing to keep up with these things. So for those people who feel certain ways, know that you're probably number one, one of thousands and millions of people who feel this way, who feel, potentially feel left behind, who potentially feel overwhelmed, who potentially feel that we're not coping in some sort of way. I think it's becoming more normal than not. And really, first of all, a really tough thing to feel that way. So don't, I suppose, give yourself a break and don't be so hard on yourself. Um, it's really, that's a hard thing to do. I think a lot of people feel like they expect more from themselves. I think, I think one of the, one of the most important things to do, and I think sort of we alluded to earlier, is to break down some of the issues that you're having. So setting yourself some sort of like short, small, um, everyday targets is really good. Even, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, but even if it's just like, I'm going to make a bed every day today, from today till, you know, however long, I'm going to go on to the job website that I was meaning to go on to every day at 10 a.m. and I'm going to set myself out like really um, small things because what you're trying to do, I guess, is trying to rebuild your confidence. So once you start to sort of see that you're hitting targets, you're going, well, I did that. As, as much as it might seem like a small thing, at least it's something. And, and again, going back to the other thing, uh, my paper, I'm a big fan of list making. And if you can make a list, no, it's not for everyone, but if you can make a list and tick off that list, it can help that sense of achievement of your actually um, accomplishing something during the day. The other thing as well is a lot of, I think, and I might be alone in this, but I do think a lot of um, confidence and self-worth belief is not only about how you feel inside and what you're you know capable of you know from a academic or job perspective but also how you feel about yourself you know on the surface how you project how you talk how you present yourself so i do think it's important that if you are feeling a certain way that you you know best foot forward get up get dressed in clothes that make you feel good I'm not saying that everyone needs to put on a suit every day. That is not at all what I do. I like to look look good and feel confident in how I look. And, you know, I've been showered. Like, Jax knows I love to go to the gym, stuff like that. Like, and, you know, exercise itself is this, you know, positive look, feedback look that helps you generate endorphins and serotonin and things like that. And inevitably, feedback can make you feel um, better because human beings are... Um, evolutionary program to gain certain physiological rewards for doing good behavior. So eating, exercise, laughing, having sex, all re results in increased endorphins going up. So that is your 
positive feedback loop of feeling of the reward of doing something that is aiding your survival and your continued well-being. Mm. Um, so, you know, bear that in mind that we are animals that have these things, these physiological, we're a, a biological machine that is, uh, you know, reliant on chemicals internally and neuropeptides and things like that that, that do have a feedback to make us feel good. But we have to, we have to make sure that we are conducting those behaviours that, you know, traditionally have ensured our survival, but nowadays ensure our well-being and our, um, you know, um, self-confidence and happiness, I guess, at the end of the day. Because one of my things is around contentment these days, later in life, because I feel like in early life, you're sort of really ambitious and you're striving for things, and then you kind of get to a stage, hopefully, that you feel content. And I feel like a lot of people don't really get to that. They still what about this? And if I can only afford this, and if I can only get this holiday, or if I can only get that car. And I I got this quote from a friend of mine who's, so I can't take credit for it, but he um, is a recovering addict of many, many, many years recovering. And he has this quote where he says, and he's now, by the way, very, he's redesigned his whole life and has this whole new kind of lease on life. And he says, uh, his quote is, I am content with all I have, but I am open to more. And I think that's really nice to say, I'm, I'm content with all that I have, which is a lot, but I'm always open for more. And I think that's a really good philosophy to live by, to not always be looking for the next thing, the more, the more, the more. But should it come your way, fine. It's a difficult thing because I know a lot of people now who are dealing with massive anxiety, depression and worry concerns particularly in the situation that we're all in now right time worrying is is sort of time wasted you know a a little bit i know and i know people can't help it putting steps in place to try and realign your thought processes is not wasted time wasted time is continuing those processes without change you know happy and confident people in my experience, hopefully being generally in the main one of them, we have the same thoughts and worries as everyone else. But happy and confident people do not obsess or fixate on those thoughts. I worry about things like everyone else. I worry about the health of relatives. I worry about the future of the economy. I worry about, there was a dog outside earlier, I thought it was going to get hit by a car because the ball ran across. I worry about all of those things, but I don't fixate on those and I don't obsess on those. I I acknowledge them as a thought and then move on to the next thing. Have a strategy. So try and, even if your strategy is for the day ahead, the week ahead, whatever, ask for help, which is, I think, pretty obvious. Try objectivity in terms, and that comes back to like be self-aware, you know, stepping outside yourself and saying, well, objectively, how do I look? How am I coming across if I'm walking into that that uh, job interview? Objectivity is something that is quite lost and something that I really struggle with as well and I've tried to be more aware of back to the self-awareness thing of like, objectively, how do I come across? Am I too much? Am I being this? Am I being that? You know, mm. and to try and, you know, put that objectivity back in myself and say, well, if you were meeting you for the first time, if you were meeting you in a job interview, if you were meeting you, what would you think? 
superb tips in there, some really useful hints and tips. Alistair, it's just been so good digging in a little bit more about you and your story, hearing more about your expertise from your background. I'm sure our listeners have benefited and taken away a lot from this as well. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your worth story. Thanks, Jax. Um, I'd just like to say uh, again, like, I think this is a really worthwhile endeavor that you've set yourself upon. And um, while not everyone would have thought of this, it doesn't surprise me in the least that you're the person that is doing this, having known you for so long. So thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll speak to you soon. If you've been inspired by today's podcast, please like, please share, please spread the worth. And remember, you are absolutely worthy of happiness and success. So go on and make that first step today. Bye.